So as I said, I wanted to spend some time on synovial joints because they do represent the greatest amount of joints in the human body. You know, the joints that we're going to be working on probably the most. Doesn't mean we won't be working on some of the other ones as well. But as as a uh, the most common joint in the body, we do need to spend a little bit of time about them. So what I'm going to do initially is talk about uh, the common synovial joint, the parts of it, and then some of the additions that we do find on joints. So you'll see here there's a number of structures that are common to synovial joints. We have two bones that come together. We have articular cartilage, and within that joint, there's a wrapping that goes around that joint, and within that wrapping, there is also a fluid. So the first is the wrapping that goes around. It's called the articular capsule. There are two layers to it. So there's an outer layer and an inner layer. The outer layer is called the external or the fibrous layer in some some authors' cases, and it's exactly that. Uh, fibrous would give you the indication that it's tough, and that's its whole purpose. That's correct. It is. It's, it's a tough outer layer that helps protect it. When it goes down into the, uh, into the bone off of the joint, it becomes part of or a continuation of the periosteum. I don't know if you guys remember, but if we take... Uh, if we take a, a, a particular joint, and uh, we'll just sort of put a socket in here, that there is a periosteum that runs as a skin along the outside of the diaphysis and, and the metaphysis, and then the joint capsule sort of covers, but the thing to remember is that it is continuous with the periosteum when you get down into below where the joint is. Um, it, it actually shares fibers. The internal layer is the, um, sorry, shall we say, the more live layer. There's, there's lots of uh, nerve, ending in, nerve endings here. There's also a very vascular area. It's very loose. It's not a tight, a tight type of capsule that's around it. And it covers all internal joint surfaces except the articular cartilage itself. And it, the reason I call it the true synovial membrane is because there are cells within this layer that does produce the synovial fluid, which I'll get to here in a moment. Suffice to say that synovial fluid, if you think about uh, uncooked white, white of the egg, that, you know, it's kind of viscous, it's slippery, yet it's thick. It's exactly like that. So this represents, uh, in the diagram you'll see, we have the outer fibrous membrane that runs here, and then within it we have... And you see how it stops at the articular cartilage because we don't find it near the articular cartilage. Starts here, lines the fibrous layer, and it is contains the cells that does produce the synovial fluid. The cavity is what's unique as well. There actually is a cavity between the bones. Um, it is potential more than real, though. So when we look at, if we were to look at anatomically two bones together in the anatomical body, your naked eye would suggest that there is no space between the two bones. Generally speaking, the space between the two bones is a synovial fluid cell thick. Right? So it's not like, you know, when you look at these diagrams, the artist's rendition gave you this impression that there's gallons of fluid in this joint. There, there really is not. Although, I don't know if any of you ever have hurt your joints here enough. Anybody here had enough for the... The inside of the joint swells up. You've done some damage in the inside. Not, not swelling from like the ligament, but the actual inside of the joint swells up. You can get 
excessive production of fluid within the joint, and that's usually when they stick a needle in there and they, they drain. It's usually what they have to do. But generally speaking, um, it's potential, so you don't really see it with the naked eye. But these cells, uh, under hydro, uh, hydroponic laws, uh, the two bones can't get can't touch each other even at a cell thick. The, the resiliency of the water keeps the two articular cartilages just slightly away from each other. The next is the synovial fluid. As I said, it's secreted by the cells of the synovial membrane. Viscous egg weight consistency becomes less viscous as it's warmed by joint movement. Hence the reason why we want to warm up joints when we exercise. Uh, ultimately, what that means is that as we warm a joint up, it becomes more slippery. So we want, when we exercise, we want our patients to warm up a little bit. The fluid becomes a little more slippery, slippery and then you have less chance of, of uh, doing any damage. It reduces friction between the articular cartilages or the articular surfaces. It also provides what's called phagocytic cells, which are eating cells. So if anything gets in there, a bacterial infection or even something a little bit more solid, the phagocytic cells will come and eat it all up and try to get rid of it. And as well, uh, the cart cartilage is said to be avascular, which means it has no blood supply to it, which means it doesn't really get nutrients. But how do we keep it alive? Because it is metabolically active tissue, right? Well, it gets supplied by the synovial fluid. It, it's what provides a lot of sustaining stuff to the cartilage. So that's represented by the red here in the diagram. The next is articular cartilage, which is usually hyaline. It covers the opposing bones. So if I were to uh, take this knee joint, this is the upper leg, the femur, this is the lower leg, the tibia. In the bony section, you'll see here the bones are touching, but you see somewhat how they fit. Imagine, if you will, the flat surfaces here of the tibia are all covered with cartilage, as well are the two condyles, the majority of them. Most of what you see is smooth surface here will all be cartilaginous material so that when the joint is functioning properly, there is, uh, there is a nice cartilage that, between, that is um, a sort of a shock absorption, uh, anti-friction anti type of tissue, along with the fluid even makes it that much more frictionless. The thing is that to remember as a sidebar, lost cartilage never comes back. So this is what happens in arthritic conditions. Over years and years and years, the cartilage wears away for lots of reasons. And uh, eventually what happens is if it's severe enough, osteoarthritis is severe enough, the bones actually start rubbing. And that's when the patient expresses significant pain, real reduction in ambulation. And uh, when it gets that bad that there's a lot of bone on bone, that's when they surgically come in and remove the articular parts of the bone and put in the fake knee or the fake hip. Um, virtually no nerve or blood supply to the articular cartilage, as I said, and therefore receives nutrients from the synovial fluid by the process of weeping lubrication. So when we put our body weight on that joint, it increases pressures within the joint and it squeezes or weeps into the cartilage. And when we relax, take the weight off, the fluid comes out. So imagine good stuff coming in and the leftover bad stuff leaving the joint and then the phagocytes pick it up and get rid of it. Ligaments, we've already talked a little bit about, but we just say they strengthen and reinforce stability. They limit movement in undesirable directions. The interesting thing about uh, ligaments, they can be extracapsular or intracapsular. 
If you remember our terminology, extra means where? Outside the capsule, right. So that means we have ligaments that sit outside the capsule, but we also can have ligaments that sit within or in the capsule. Um, so extrinsic or extracapsular outside or intrinsic capsular, therefore thickened part of the fibrous capsule. So we see here in the knee over here, <coughs> excuse me, we have we have uh, the, the ligament here, the infrapatella uh, or the patella ligament here. You can see it doesn't, it doesn't attach to the joint capsule, so it's considered to be extra or outside the capsule. Here, the lateral collateral ligament, so the one that sits on the outside of the knee here, it does not, there's actually a space between the articular cartilage of the, the joint capsule and, and where it attaches on the fibula, so it's said to be extracapsular. Whereas the cruciate ligaments sit within the joint, they're considered to be intracapsular ligaments because they sit deep into the joint itself. And you'll be spending a lot more time on those when you get to the next semester into the appendicular skeleton. So those are the basics. Up until ligaments A, B, C, D, and E, those are found in every single synovial joint in the body. Now, the next number of things are some things can be in a synovial joint and sometimes they're not. The first is an articular disc or meniscus. They're discs or wedges of cartilage. What they aim to do is they aim to deepen and therefore make a joint more congruent or stronger. So if we look at the tibia and the uh, femur, we can see that they kind of fit a bit, but it's really the, the end of the femur is almost just kind of sitting on a flat platform, yes? That's not going to be very strong. So what the body does, it places a meniscus or disc that widens the lateral aspects of, of this joint. So if we were to have a look at this joint, just one side of it, we have a rounded condyle and we have sort of a semi-flat a semi opposing surface. And you can see that round and flat, it's not going to work well, right? So what the body does, it puts a wedge-shaped wedge disc in like so. I shall make it just a bit higher. Like so, which deepens the articular surface, therefore making the two bones more congruent or fitting better and therefore much more stable or strong. All right? So their discs are white as a fibrolar cartilage separating articular surface. They have no blood supply except at their margins and they improve the fit between incongruent bony structures. And we can say that therefore they, supp they supply some, some strength to it. My favorite one here is the jaw. So the TMJ joint is probably one of the worst joints in the human body from a, from a, um, a mechanical point of view. You actually end up with a round surface on a round surface. How's that gonna work for stability? What do you think, round on round, would that be stable? Not really. So you actually have a meniscus that slides along with it, and it is concave on both sides, which allows these two convexities, because as it moves forward here, you get this round part sitting on the round part, and the meniscus helps make it fit better. How many people here have clicky jaws? So a lot of you people have more TMJ problems than just one then. So what's happening in, in, in a TMJ condition is, that clicking you're feeling is actually the bone falling off of or out of the disc. 
So think of cartilage. Every time it goes click, just a little piece shaves off. Another piece shaves off. And eventually, it starts to hurt a lot. And if you're like my mother, you actually have surgery where they try to fix it because you had a dry socket. It actually completely drained and didn't function anymore. And unfortunately, it doesn't work. You'll see here the knee. They've removed the femur on the end. These are the two discs. You can see they're wedge-shaped here, and they deepen the articular surfaces, again, making it more congruent and much more stable and strong. Sometimes we find a labrum. A labrum is slightly different than a meniscus, but still kind of plays the same role in deepening the concavity of one of the bones within a joint. So it too is a fibrocartilaginous ring. It deepens the socket or the articular surface of the bone. We find it in the glenoid labrum, which is the shoulder, and we find it in the acetabular labrum, which is the hip. So we see here in the cross section, the bony part is the yellow. You can see it's, it's deep, but it's deepened by the labrum. So we have a little triangular piece here and a, and a little longer triangular piece here. It deepens the concavity, again, making it much stronger. If we compare the shoulder to the hip, the hip labrum is larger and the joint generally is much, much deeper, whereas the shoulder, it too has a labrum, but not near as deep. The reason for that is we don't want as much movement in the hips, so we have it deeper for, for the ability to take the power of standing and walking and the things that we do, whereas the shoulder, we want a large range of motion. It's how we functionally work as a human being. Uh, we put in a much less deeper labrum and, and concavity so that we get a greater range of motion. Yes? No. Not at all. Be exactly the same. Where... Where different is the width of, of the basin of the pelvis, because obviously we want that aperture where a child's head may come out of the relationship. We want the aperture much wider in the female than we want in the male. And because the hip bone tends to be wider, the aperture is wider. Um, and that's where we have the functional difference between men and women in terms of how we play sports, that kind of stuff. If you ever look... I often say the reason why women will never run as fast as men generally is because the hips are too wide. You lose too much uh, mechanics in the movement. And if you ever want to look at um, female sprinters that are really quite fast at the Olympic level, you will note that all their hips are very narrow, which makes them faster because it, it takes the forces created in the movement and, and makes it much more efficient to moving forward. If you get to a wider hip, it puts too much angle on the forces generated and you can't quite move as fast. You can, uh, but it takes something like a car accident. Whereas the shoulder, right, if I, you know, again, uh, first aid or uh, um, um, martial arts or defense training, if you get an arm in the right position, it takes about 10 pounds of pressure and you can pop someone's shoulder out very, very easily because there's not all the same structures, but the hip's much different. That being said, if they're going to do an artificial hip, if you've ever seen it, they actually make an incision, they externally rotate the leg and push it forward and it'll put, just pop right out. But they, they cut a lot of ligaments away as well to make it a little bit easier. Just do it with a chicken leg. You know, you got a whole chicken and you want to pop the leg off. You know the Zare's barbecue chickens? You want to take the leg off? You don't have to cut it, right? You just grab the leg and pop it, and that's exactly what you're doing. You're, you're taking the hip joint and you're popping the femur out. Trust me, by the time I'm done with you guys, you'll never eat meat the same. All my anatomy, because I was a butcher for about 15 years of my life, all my anatomy is based on cuts of meat that you eat on a regular basis. So you'll see here, 
We do have a labrum in the glenohumeral joint, the shoulder joint, not near as deep because we want that greater range of motion. <clears throat> the next specialization we, the specialization we may see is something called a bursa. A bursa is basically a fluid-filled sac, and within that sac, very similar to the joint capsule, an outer fibrous layer, an inner synovial layer, and then it's filled with fluid. In fact, you guys don't realize it, but right between your skin and your el the bone of your elbow, of your ulna, you actually have a bursa here. And the reason that ulna feels so nice and smooth is because of the bursa. Has anybody here smashed theirs? Like slipped on the ice and, and you don't have one now? Like is your elbow really, really rough? So my dad did that many years ago. He slipped on the ice and he, when he fell back, he smashed his elbow into the ice and he burst that bursa and never grew back. If you were to rub his elbow, it's very, very rough. It's not that nice, smooth feeling that you guys have. Anybody here had student elbow where it's blown up and you get a big swelling? No? Used to call it student's elbow. Sitting at the desk all the time. Uh, but their big role, what they do is they reduce friction where ligaments cross bones. So uh, the reason you have the one in your elbow is because the rough bone would eventually do some wear and tear on the skin. So the body puts this bursa between the skin and the elbow because when we flex, the skin gets very much tighter at the elbow, so it prevents the skin from being torn up by the bone which lies underneath. In the knee, we have lots, and we have lots around the shoulder as well. In some cases, they can be an extension of the synovial membrane of the joint. So if I go here to the shoulder, we have a, quite a number of bursa. We have a bursa between the top of the shoulder and the deltoid muscle. We have a bursa between under the acromion over the top of... Um, over top of the rotator cuff muscles, so the rotator cuff muscles don't get rubbed by the bone there. We have another one here underneath the coracoid process to the pectoralis muscle. We have one behind the pectoralis muscle so that it doesn't rub against the humerus and so forth. So the body has determined anywhere where there's a possibility of friction of, of, of a muscle or ligamentous structure crossing bone, the body places a bursa under there kind of like a little pillow so that it doesn't, it doesn't uh, to rub again structure governs function, right? I had uh, major shoulder surgery uh, back in March, and this was removed, completely taken away as part of my procedure. Uh, the next is something called a tendon sheath. So imagine, if you will, again, we, we, when we have tendons and ligaments, as they move, we want, we want it to be relatively frictionless, right? Because if we take one of those structures and we rub it against bone, eventually, like a rope, it'll start to fray and then eventually it would tear, right? And, 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 and um, come off the bone or rip apart or whatever it may be. If we have a tendon that needs to run through a structure, the body will place a synovial sheath around said tendon so that as the tendon is doing its thing, uh, as the muscle contracts or, or relaxes, it allows that, that tendon that may be running through a rough tube of, of bone, it allows it to move through the sheath, again, protecting it from friction. This is known as a tendon sheath. And it, it's, a tendon sheath is basically synovial membrane that runs around a tendon. It's basically an elongated bursa, and it allows the, the tendon to run through bony areas easier. The most common one is... Um, for the long head biceps tendon, you'll see this groove right here. You see the groove between the two bumps and this humerus? Okay. So your biceps tendon runs up through that 
groove to go back to its attachment back here. So you've got a bone on either side. Again, the potential for friction is not good. So the, the long head biceps tendon runs through one of these tendon sheaths, which allows it to frictionlessly move between the two parts of the tubercles, thus not allowing for any damage to it. So we see, we kind of see it here, but I, it doesn't work well. You can see here, here's the tendon, and the synovial membrane surrounds the tendon, giving it a nice frictionless environment to run through. You have a lot of them in your hand. So you can see here in the palmar surface of this hand, all the tendons of the flexor muscles that run through here through the hand all run through tendon sheaths because of the amount of structures in here, thus protecting the tendons from, from tearing or fraying as they, as they function. That was an easy one. Any questions? Going once, going twice. Just give me half a second here.